0: Our reading is from um, the Gospel of St. Matthew, uh, chapter 5, verses uh, 21 to 26, and that's on page 2 of our service sheet here in church, and it'll be on the screen, no doubt, as well. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then, come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge. And the judge may hand you over to the officer. And you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, You will not get out until you have paid the last penny.
1: Thank you very much, David. We are dealing with one of the shortest commandments of the ten, uh, along with the eighth, do not steal. Uh, This is the shortest. And perhaps because it's short, we might think, well, that's self-evidence, or perhaps because it's such an extreme offence, we might think it's self-evident. Lying, that's bad. Stealing, that's bad. Adultery, that's very bad. Murder, well, that's the worst. Uh, therefore, it's very clear. Everybody must know that it's wrong to murder. No need for further explanation or qualification. Presumably, then, a very short sermon to today's 11 o'clock service. Uh, he'll get down in a couple of minutes, because we all know this. Uh, well, it's amazing how much can be said about one very short commandment when we go into it, and certainly when we look at Jesus' own explanation and extension of the commandments in the New Testament. And perhaps the first thing to note is actually this commandment is a bit less self evident than we might at first have thought. In fact, to think it is evident only perhaps shows how entirely culturally conditioned we are by the gospel. The reality is that human nature can sink very low. Human nature does sink very low. There both have been and are societies where the principle is might is right, where that trumps all other ethical considerations, ethical boundaries, where murder goes from being an ethical taboo to being actually a proof of one's strength and prowess. And that's not just the case in a Polynesian headhunter society long ago, far away, not just in faraway places today, like in criminal gangs in South America, but it might well be in a virtual reality form in uh, the front rooms, the living rooms of our own Um, houses or our children's houses, because that is often a culture and a principle that can get glorified in that context. Part of the Christian gospel, by contrast, is the eternal value of every human life. Life is not cheap or valueless, but rather a great gift from God to be treasured and protected. In many ways, we are at risk, individually and collectively, of degrading that amazing gift, especially so perhaps at the end and the beginning of life, when lives can be so vulnerable. The 21st century Western world is at risk, in many ways, of sinking back into a paganism that we assumed we'd forgotten long ago in our attitudes to life. And some of us may have been hurt deeply, uh, personally, by that sinking, either by personal decisions or decisions of those who are close to us. And it's in those especially dark areas of guilt and grief and loss and hurt that we can know the full extent of Jesus' forgiveness and mercy. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God Through him. And today's passage brings us to Jesus himself, of course. Jesus' teaching on the sixth commandment features one limitation of the commandment and four extensions of the commandment and help us to understand the true shape of what we're being told back in Exodus. So, the limitation, firstly, it is just about murder, not about all killing. That is, it's about extrajudicial or illegal killing. Verse 21, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. It is unfortunate that the King James Version, the authorized version of the Bible, as we more typically call it, uh, translated this phrase, thou shalt not kill. Uh, Hence arose a misunderstanding among some that this commandment's about all forms of killing. But the original Hebrew term ratsack actually is much better translated, certainly today, as murder. And so most modern translations do put the commandment as you shall not murder. It is simply prohibiting extrajudicial, illegal killing. Whereas judicial killing is acceptable, certainly in the Old Testament. And uh, certainly there are other parts of the law where, in fact, that is the penalty for various offences including the offence of murder itself. In Numbers 35, we find that the penalty for murder is death. Death, of course, carried out by an executioner. And it wouldn't make sense if that executioner was transgressing the sixth commandment by carrying out the penalty to uphold the sixth commandment. I think this penalty is slightly what Jesus is alluding to at the second half of verse 21. Uh, He restates the commandment, you shall not murder, but then also adds... And anyone who murders will be subject to judgments, pointing us to that penalty that stands in the law for those who do commit murder. Now, this isn't to say that capital punishment is okay today, or that we should reintroduce capital punishment in this country after over 50 years of not having had it. Christians are not bound by the civil precepts of the Old Testament law only by the moral precepts which Jesus restated in the New Testament. And then he fulfilled the ceremonial aspects of the law as well. So there's certainly no obligation on us as Christians to uphold Old Testament injunctions to have murder, to have killing and execution as a penalty for various crimes. But it does also mean that there is no explicit Christian command against capital punishment. And therefore there is legitimate room within the church, within Christian circles, uh, for debate on that issue. It's certainly not straightforwardly uh, the Christian view on this is against or for capital punishment. So there's room for uh, freedom of conscience on that. And there are sincere Christians on both sides of that debate. Now the other context of killing that is both permitted and actually in some cases, narrow cases, endorsed in the Old Testament is just warfare. So not only judicial killing or execution, but also just warfare. Therefore, the Israelites were not transgressing or disobeying the sixth commandment when they fought against the Philistines who they were commanded by God to go to war against and by implication uh, with some of them to kill nor were they disobeying the Sixth commandments in defending themselves against the Syrians and the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Egyptians. Now today, there's a long-running debate within the church about what just war actually means. And there's certainly different considerations for those who are in power with the power to wage those wars or those who are simply caught up in those wars and conscripted as many hundreds of thousands of Russians are currently being, Sadly. Of course, this is a very immediate question for us. What is a just war with a major war happening on our continent for the first time in 75 years? And again, just like judicial killing, execution, there is debate within the church as to what just war means. Certainly most of us, think, would see uh, the war being waged by Russia as an un- unjust war, and yet would be a very sympathetic to the taking up of arms by the Ukrainians themselves to defend themselves in a just cause against an adversary entering their country. Certainly that's the view of the Church of England's own articles of religion, the 37th article stating this, it is lawful for Christian men at the commandment of the magistrates to wear weapons and to serve in the wars. Certainly there's been a strong tradition of Christian pacifism that's arisen certainly in the 20th century uh, since then, And uh, there is a strong position within uh, the Church of England and other Christian churches against um, most warfare, except in a few narrow cases where it can be deemed just. There's certainly, again, room for discussion amongst us over the justice of that. So that's the limitation, limitation of killing to simply execution, judicial murder, and to warfare. But then, more importantly, Jesus gives four extensions of the commandments. And this is the real force of Jesus' teaching on this subject. Firstly, it's not just murder that's prohibited by the sixth commandment, but also thinking evil of others. Verse 22 I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Rakah is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So it's not just murder prohibited, but also thinking evil of others. Anger at others is the root of violence and hence of murder. This is a classic case of the need to hold scripture together, to weigh scripture with scripture. Because we may immediately think when jesus says uh, it 's wrong to be angry with others well didn 't Jesus himself display a righteous anger uh, at particular moments in his ministry, particularly memorably in the temple when he cleansed us? Well, we need to distinguish the sin from the sinner. Jesus himself uh, showed anger at the offense of god against god 's house he showed zeal for god 's house, but neither John nor Matthew, who record the cleansing of the temple, say that Jesus was angry at the teachers, uh, the traders, rather, in the temple. He loved them and cared about them. He was angered at their sin and their offense against God's house. It's when anger becomes personal, that's when the problems arise. And we know that anger becomes personal when the insults start flying, when arguments go from conceptual to ad hominem, to to the man, Attacking the person rather than their ideas and um, what they're suggesting. You idiot, you fool, rakah, as verse 22 puts it, which is an Aramaic term of abuse, meaning empty head, blockhead. It's when those insults start flying, we know that the argument has taken a dive for the worse. Again, we might think, well, hang on, the book of Proverbs is calling people fools all the time. The fool does this, the fool does that, the fool goes about in his foolishness. How can Jesus tell us not to call others fools when the word itself is calling people fools? Well, foolish people may well exist, but the book of Proverbs isn't identifying and calling out particular individuals. It's simply giving a a classification. There's no excuse, even though foolishness does exist rampantly in the world, to insult people as such today is the day of salvation and pointing people in the right direction not the day yet of judgments and identifying them specifically as fool so is there anyone that we are angry with anyone we have long standing scores with grievances against perhaps newer grievances against this sort of anger is the anger that corrodes the soul For Jesus' sake, we must lay it aside. Let his grace overcome it. Let him be the judge of grievances. So that's the first extension that Jesus gives of the commands. Not simply murder, but also anger at others. Secondly, another extension. It's not just our anger, but actually the anger of others at us that's at issue as well. Verse 23 if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then, come and offer your gift. Leaving your gift at the altar, a way of saying engaging in public worship, which the Jews would have done in the temple in Jerusalem. We have no altar now, and we as Christians engage in public worship all the time. Uh, All of our lives are given over as a worship of God in thankfulness of what Jesus has done for us. And therefore we always perpetually need to be considering whether others have something against us, as Jesus puts it there in verse 23. It's a constant Christian concern. And we can't make people reconcile with us if they do have something against us. But we certainly can try. We can do all we can to find peace with them. The focus here of Jesus' teaching is on brothers and sisters. If you have a brother or sister who has something against you, leave your gift. Go and be reconciled to them. So he's talking primarily about peace within the family of God, which for us means within the church. But there's a good principle there to apply more widely as well. It's terrible when there are divisions between people, personal grievances within the church, but it's also pretty bad in wider society as well. And in both places, rifts can arise. So did somebody lend us some money, which we haven't yet repaid? That's an easy one to go to them and settle with. Did uh, our child or grandchild hurt another's at the school gate? That's an easy one to give them a phone call to and sort that out. Did you block somebody's drive when you were parking the other day? And did they get irritated by that? That's certainly something I've done before. Uh, that's a good one to go around to the neighbour's house and settle with them over. Wide principles here, Jesus' teaching of the need to maintain peace. So it's not just murder, it's not just anger. It's also not just other people's anger, but also other people's grievances in general. Verse 25, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. The adversary is not necessarily angry with us, but they do have a grievance and so they're taking us to court. Better by far to come to terms with them in the police car on the way to court or in the pre-trial correspondence before we've actually got at the court hearing than in front of a whole press gallery or in front of the court recorder or the judge himself. Hopefully very few of us ever get taken to court. I've certainly never been taken to court. Um, I have been to a court a few times, sometimes in a professional capacity, not thankfully being taken to one. But hopefully, if any of us were in the situation that that was a likely prospect, we would strive to come to peace quickly. Certainly within the church, among brothers and sisters, it's certainly a New Testament principle from First Corinthians again, that we should strive at all costs to avoid taking lawsuits before unbelievers perhaps this winter, with uh, winter fuel bills coming in from um, energy companies, which we're rather astounded by, good to come to terms with them, to settle with them, to uh, sort things out, iron things out with them, rather than let things get to uh, court orders. So, do not murder, a wide commandment, not just the literal sense of murder, which it certainly does include, but also our anger, others' anger, and irreconciliation of grievances in general, So Jesus is saying that the spirit of this commandment, this apparently simple, straightforward, obvious commandment, is be at peace with others. Be at peace within the church, within the Christian family. Be at peace more widely. That's the spirit of this law. But what about the fourth and final extension? Verse 26. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out of jail until you have paid the last penny. That's a rather oddly graphic description, a rather oddly graphic addendum to add to that description of a merely temporal incarceration. It makes perhaps more sense, that verse, if we see it as a reference to the eternal, the everlasting consequences of irreconciliation, the sinfulness of irreconciliation. So far as it depends on us, we must not live at enmity with others, but rather at peace with our neighbors to avoid eternal jail being the consequence of that sin. Let's resolve to live at peace with all our neighbors, near and far. Uh, Romans 12 restates this principle, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. There being very clear, it is applying to all, not simply something to keep within the Christian family. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, the spirits of the sixth commandment. Let's pray for Jesus' help in that. Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you for your law, that it is good and just and holy. Thank you for the Lord Jesus' teaching on these commandments and the way he helps us to understand the full implications of them. We are so sorry for the many times which we are conscious of being angry at others, of not living at peace with others. And we thank you for the depths of your mercy that when we come back to you in penitence and faith, you do forgive. Thank you for the inspiration of the Lord Jesus, who was the one who lived at peace as far as it depended on him with all. May he be our guide in his name. Amen.